1: G'day, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garin Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Our guest today is Gavin Lockyer, Managing Director of Parafura Resources. It's listed under the code ARU, or Alpha Romeo Uniform, and is trading at around 8.2 cents for a market cap of $90 million dollars. Gavin joined Arafura in 2006 to establish the company as a rare earths producer with an emphasis on NDPR. All that was to come from the Nolans project in the Northern Territory, which is about 90 minutes north of Alice Springs and is capable of producing 10% of the world's NDPR needs. Now you'll note there that I haven't been game enough to uh, pronounce the full names there, but I'm sure Gavin will be, but we're talking about NDPR anyway. Now the company's plan is to become the second only to ASX-listed Linus Corp in terms of NDR production. And it's worth noting here that Linus today is a $1.7 billion company, one that Wes Farmers tried to secure recently for $1.1 billion. As the Wes Farmers' failed attempt for Linus demonstrated, big things are underway in the rare earths market as the world frets about China's grip on supplies of what is both a strategic and essential material group. I'll get Gavin to elaborate on that in a moment, but first I I'll welcome him to the podcast and ask him to fill us in on his professional background. So, G'day Gavin. G'day
0: Barry, and thanks thanks for having me. Uh, pleasure to be here. Uh, well, as, as you outlined, I joined Arifur in 2006 uh, as the company's secretary and the CFO, and my role back then was really to uh, raise the capital uh, that the project would need in order to uh, get up and running. But uh, as I very quickly learnt, uh, a rare earth project is, is not a simple mining process. And, uh, you know, we, we were required to do a lot more test work, uh, a lot of metallurgical work, a lot of hydrometallurgical work to unleash or crack the chemistry code of the ore body and it's taken us a lot of time in terms of R&D uh, and, and process and, and trial and error in order to uh, to achieve that. You asked about my background, uh, I'm a chartered accountant by trade, however I've spent uh, many years in, uh, in the investment banking community both uh, internationally in London uh, and here in Australia, so uh, hence the reason I was brought into the organisation. Five years ago, I took over as Managing Director and with the view to, again, continue driving the project forward. And uh, we've done that now to a point where we've uh, developed a a feasibility study, which was released to the market in February this year. And the next stage now is really to get out there and find that project finance. So that's our challenge for the next uh, 12 months.
1: Mm. Okay. Now, before we dive into the findings of the DFS and the way forward, I was hoping you could give Investors, a bit of a, a background on the market for NDPR, its uses, and perhaps the, you know, the fastest growing component. Yes, not, not a problem.
0: Look, NDPR, or neodymium as well uh, is, is the long name. Uh, it, it, it represents two of the lighter rare earth elements, which sit at the bottom of the periodic table in the lanthanide series. So that's your chemistry set for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we call it NDPR, obviously. It's much easier to, to pronounce. Uh, and they typically they come together and they form the nucleus of uh, high performance magnets. Uh, they, they represent about a third of a rare earth magnet, and and these magnets uh, are used for many many applications. But most people would be familiar with them as uh, part of the speaker system that sits in their earbuds that go in each ear. The, the reason your earbuds are so clear and, and uh, small uh, as a result of uh, miniaturization of the magnets required in the speaker. The other major use is obviously automa- automotive uh, manufacturers. People have electric uh, seats, electric steering, electric windscreen wipers, uh, electric braking. Uh, all of these are replacing hydraulics, and all of them are using a a, a micro a small neodymium prasodinium magnet in in each of the applications in order to um, make make your car lighter and more fuel efficient but the biggest growth industry is certainly the clean tech industry uh, combined predominantly around uh, wind turbines each wind turbine has about 150 kilograms of magnet in each turbine uh, but also obviously the electrification of motor vehicle fleets globally Uh, An automotive, uh, a a typical automobile will use about a kilogram of NDPR magnet uh, in in its system for all those applications I I noted earlier, but an extra kilogram is used when you put an electric motor in a car, uh, and and that is really the driving force behind the NDPR supply-demand gap that's looming in
1: coming years. Okay. Now, what you've outlined there uh, tells us a lot about the essential Nature of NDPR across uh, a number of industries and uh, boom industries like the EV market, but I was wondering if now we could touch on the strategic nature of uh, NDPR and it's you know the importance of getting new projects like Nolan's to reduce uh, China's grip on supplies.
0: Sure. Well, as you've alluded to, China currently supplies about eighty-five to ninety percent of the world's market. Uh, the only other producer, as you also alluded to, is Linus Corporation. Uh, and there's a couple of smaller uh, producers around the world, but they're they're very small deposits, and uh, they, they they're not really significant volumes. Most analysts are forecasting that uh, NDPR magnet growth just in the EV space alone will be around eight percent year on year. Now, mm-hmm. at current uh, growth trends, there's a looming shortage by around 2025 of uh, demand current current uh, supply into that demand. What's also growing is China's uh, demand for NDPR is growing significantly within the Chinese domestic market. And most analysts are now saying, too, that by around 2022, uh, China will become a net importer of NDPR. Now, what this means is that uh, the rest of the world, who is dependent on China currently for supply, uh, will find that uh, they won't be able to get their hands on it. And, uh, and and this is becoming a, a major issue, uh, particularly for the US, who, as you can expect, uh, you know, as you would um, expect, the, the Defence Department is a significant user of NDPR as well. Uh, and uh, and so for national security reasons, they're, they're starting to become very concerned around critical min- mineral supply. Uh, and that's why it's important that projects like Arafura get up and running, uh, not because uh, it's, it's my project, but certainly because um, these projects take a long time to develop. It's not like a, a gold mining process where you can go to an engineering firm and say, build me a gold mine that looks like the one over there. Because geologically, each of these deposits is different, and so they have a long lead time in terms of research and development to unlock the chemistry that's required, which you can then feed into your engineering studies in order for these parts to be built. Uh, And so if there's no new supply coming on board and China's growing in uh, massive demand as as is expected, then the rest of the world uh, faces a serious issue.
1: Mm. Now, the company's obviously put a lot of work into the DFS, which you mentioned was released in February earlier this year. Can you point out for us some of the the key findings of that DFS?
0: Absolutely. The the DFS really highlighted for us uh, what we kind of already knew, I guess. The fact that the, the the project is a long life project. We've got a, a life of mine, according to the ore reserve, of twenty three years, but we know it's significantly greater than that. The twenty three year life of mine is simply in the top two hundred meters from uh, from surface of resource, uh, but we've drilled down at least four hundred and forty meters, and we're still in mineralization. So, it's a it's a long life asset. It's globally significant because it is enriched in NDPR. Um, not all rare earth deposits uh, contain the same ratio mix of, of, of rare earth elements. And so ours is endowed in NDPR, which again is a bonus for us. Uh, and also, the DFS proved that it's a low cost operation. Ours is a phosphate hosted ore body. We're able to unlock that phosphate uh, and sell that as a byproduct, which means that our operating cost of just over 26 US dollars a kilogram firmly puts us in the lowest quartile, even compared to the Chinese producers. Uh, and we think that's extremely important for our ongoing competitiveness.
1: Mm. So, with that low cost, I was wondering, did the DFS at all explore what the leverage to price improvement was from current levels, sir? So? so currently, uh, spot
0: price is about 45 uh, US dollars a kilogram. Uh, most, uh, if you extrapolate the demand supply, um, uh, analytics that are out there from various sources. Most are forecasting by around 2022, 2023 when we're in production. It should be around $70 a kilo. And at $70 a kilo, we know it's a bankable project and that's what the DFS proved.
1: Mm. Um, now, obviously, the the task ahead is to arrange, uh, I think the capital cost is roughly $1 billion Australian. Uh, what's the plan to secure that?
0: Look, it's not a commodity market, so we can't go through traditional financing routes um, because banks just can't bank it. They don't. They need a clear, um, a clear direction as to where our offtake, how they're going to be repaid. And so our focus over the last six months has been to really crank up our marketing activities, uh, try and secure long-term offtake arrangements with customers that have a balance sheet that will Um, underpin the the bank the bank debt and uh, it's I mean it's a similar process to what Linus went through they utilized a uh, the Japanese trading house sojits that then allowed uh, Jogmeg and the Japanese government to guarantee the the debt component which the Japanese banking sector then was able to to fund and and we're we're looking to do a similar uh, I guess structure But we're trying to also bring in other parties other than the Japanese. We'd like to focus uh, on the Koreans, on the on the Europeans, those countries that have uh, a strategic requirement for their wider manufacturing industries uh, on the long-term supply, uh, security of supply for NDPR. And obviously the automobile uh, sector is is a is a big component of that.
1: Uh, as you mentioned there, uh, Japan Inc., for want of a better term, lined up in support of Linus Corp. And you've mentioned there that uh, you, you'll be casting your net further afield. But I was just wondering, does this Australia play any role in potential financing for the project?
0: Look, we're talking with uh, the Australian government and also uh, sec- uh, pools of funds within the Australian government, such as uh, the, the, the NAIF or the Northern uh, Australia Infrastructure Fund, uh, we're speaking with EFIC, we're speaking with the Clean Energy Funds, all these pools of, of, of capital, uh, trying to pull them together into some sort of structure. That's going to take some time, but certainly there's opportunity there for, for Australia to be, or the Australian government to be uh, involved in the project.
1: Mm. Do you have a timeline at all for completion of financing, or is it to uh, see how it works out?
0: No, definitely not. We, we are driving pretty hard to try and have financing secured by at least the middle of next year. Uh, we, we would like to, we have a lot of engineering going on at the moment in terms of uh, execution readiness uh, and uh, leading into front-end engineering, and we would like to be able to roll that straight over into early works uh, construction, uh, potentially to be you know turning dirt this time next year if, if everything goes well.
1: Mm-hmm. And then construction would lead through to first product, roughly when?
0: targeting end of 2022 for commissioning. And uh, obviously there's a, a ramp up period there. and uh, But certainly we'll be looking to ship first product by the end of 2022 or early to 2023.
1: So potentially capturing that window of opportunity of uh, around 2025?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And look, what I said about China and their, their demand profile uh, becoming a net importer, we're seeing China Inc. basically put their foot on various projects outside of China, various resources. Uh, there's no secret as to why uh, Donald Trump really put the bid in for uh, for Greenland. There are a significant resource of rare earths there as well as uh, as uranium. So, you know, but the Chinese have already put their foot on on partly on that deposit, and we're seeing it in other other projects too that are very early stage, which uh, we believe China will develop over a course of time when, when China requires that, that
1: feedstock. Mm. Is the intention to proceed on a 100% basis or is the company open to potential uh, equity partners in the project itself?
0: Uh, look, we're a small market cap company with a, with a mega project. So if we thought we could do it 100% on our own, uh, we, I think we'd be kidding ourselves and, and it wouldn't be the right thing for our shareholders. So if there was the right strategic partner, that was interested in the project and developing it in the same time frame that, that we would like to develop it to return uh, some capital to our shareholders, then we'd certainly entertain either a project sell-down or an equity sell-down.
1: Right, And I noticed that there's been a decision to have the separation plant loca- co-located at knowledge rather than a, an overseas location. What was the sure. th- thought behind that?
0: Look, we've always believed that if we could do everything at one location, it makes sense. It's cheaper. It's easier to manage. Um, And, you know, all the waste is managed at site from where it came. And um, it was, I guess, uh, exacerbated by the issues that uh, are going on in Malaysia. Um, We can do everything at site. We're fully permitted environmentally to do everything at site. So it made sense to do it there if we could. We did look at uh, some of the final stage separation being done offshore. That was predominantly because of access to uh, chemicals that are required for the solvent extraction phase. But at the end of the day, I think the social licence to operate and manage everything in one location certainly overrode any cost savings that we may have uh, achieved by having an offshore location for that final processing.
1: Mm. You did very well then, Gavin, not to mention the issues Lion's had uh, with this Malaysian operation. But uh,
0: <laughs> well you know the issues every rare earth deposit comes with some degree of radioactivity and uh, some of it is higher than others but every every one of them has it and uh, so this isn't a new issue it was an issue that liners knew full well when they were moving to malaysia um it's just all come to to light now so it, it shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody really
1: mm, true true now given the uh the background we've got of you know, US-China trade wars and concerns about this uh, 2025 shortage of rare earths looming. Um, why is it that uh, NDR, NDPR prices haven't taken off just yet? I think a
0: couple of reasons. I think um, there's been a, a sort of, you think each, each motor vehicle only uses a small amount of material. So, when you go to speak to an auto manufacturer and you speak to their procurement people and you say, look, you've got, a, you've got an issue coming, they go, no, 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 we've got plenty of supply coming. Uh, and they'll speak to their suppliers and the suppliers go, yep, not a problem. So um, there's been no urgency uh, in, in outside of China in terms of procurement. What we are seeing now is some of the uh, European uh, car manufacturers are now starting to escalate. And, and, and map their supply chains um, quite accurately, all the way back to mine. Uh, there's been issues um, around you know, cobalt coming from um, unsavoury uh, sources, et cetera, et cetera. And customers are now starting to demand that um, if I'm buying a, a green car, uh, I want to know where, where the raw materials have come from. So that's now starting to percolate through. And I think we're seeing some price rise now starting to come in, in that regard. Uh, because the cost of rehabilitation will now be factored into the underlying price of the commodity. Uh, Another aspect is that we're currently seeing, out of the Chinese magnet manufacturers, some of the European manufacturers starting to place long lead orders for their magnets for mid 2025. So I think over the remainder part of this year, we'll start seeing some price escalation in the underlying uh, NDPR oxide price. The other argument and uh, I don't know whether this is true or not is that you know China's artificially keeping the price low to um, you know uh, I guess uh, deter competition and other projects getting up and running now that's a you know that's an argument you can make if from a political level but uh, we're just sort of putting our heads down and, and focusing on what we can what we can do. The, the other aspect is, uh, as you've said, around a geopolitical sense, uh, the Australian government has done a lot of work through Geoscience Australia and also Australia bringing together a prospectus of critical minerals that it's identified uh, from reports put out by both the EU, uh, the Japanese, the Koreans and the US, and, and in that has identified a num- number of projects in Australia that could help meet that supply uh, shortfall. And uh, and obviously, you know, our Prime Minister is heading to Washington as we speak to discuss that pre-issue.
1: I understand overnight there were uh, some US senators uh, met on the very subject, Uh, not necessarily rare earths, but just uh, critical metals. Um, It's obviously a growing concern uh, as this uh, US-China trade war becomes seemingly prolonged.
0: Sure, absolutely. And look, from a US perspective, uh, you know, they're one of the few countries that still has manufacturing industry. And uh, the trade surplus that the U.S. has with Australia uh, is predominantly uh, controlled or not predominantly influenced by five uh, key industries. One of them is defence, but the other four are, are predominantly manufacturers. And uh, the, uh, the U.S. are now starting to map through their supply chain and realise that all five of those industries require rare earths or NDPR magnets uh, in order for their success. So... Let's hope that uh, the Prime Minister has a, has a good session over there.
1: Okay. Now, uh, finally, I might get you to pronounce NDPR once more for us, just so it's locked in. Neodymium
0: and praseodymium.
1: Very well done. So exciting stuff. It's always fascinating to talk about the rare earths market and uh, good to see the progress being made at Nolans. Just finally, though, I will ask what's, uh, what events or what's coming up that investors should look out for in the near term? Yeah, look, we
0: um, successfully raised $23 million earlier this year, just a couple of months ago, and and that was underpinned by uh, Talaxis, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Noble Group, uh, an international commodities trading arm. And we're working with Talaxis in terms of uh, what type of coordination uh, or cooperation, I should say, they may be able to bring to the table in terms of their expertise in logistics and marketing. Uh, But obviously, uh, they're well connected globally in terms of financial markets. So we're hoping that uh, with their support, that uh, we'll be able to make some announcements around uh, potentially, you know, long-term project funding solutions. On top of that, we're running our own internal process uh, regarding offtake. So we certainly hope that, say, the next three to six months, we have some really positive news around uh, either, you know, some binding MOUs, preferably. Around uh, long term NDPR offtake with, with, with parties that uh, people should recognise.
1: Right, well, exciting stuff, Gavin. And uh, I say, thanks very much for your time today and for giving us a rundown both on the project and the broader rare earths market. And good luck with it all. Thanks very much, Barry.